Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I want to live it unto the Lord and for the Lord. Amen. Numbers chapter 16, uh, starting with verse number 8 here this evening. Let me move things just around a little bit. But in number 16 and verse number 8, the Bible states these words. And Moses said unto Korah, Hear, I pray you, ye sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel have separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he hath brought thee near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee and seek ye the priesthood also. Verse number nine, Moses in addressing Korah, a son of of Levi ask him a question seemeth it but a small thing unto you that God has taken you separated you brought you near to him I want to preach for a little while this this evening it's no small thing it's no small thing I feel as though God has laid something on my heart there's sometimes you preach because you have to preach but I feel like maybe God's laid something on my heart Amen. And whether it happens for you or not, I'm going to leave still feeling like God laid something on my heart tonight. It's no small thing. Lord, I come to you right now. I'm asking, oh God, for your anointing upon my mind and upon my lips, my heart. Help my understanding, oh Lord. Help me, God, to articulate in such a way, God, that your people can understand. God, that whenever we leave this place, we can say, surely we've been in the presence of the Lord. I'm asking, God, that you just sweep through this house. God, through the remainder, Lord, of this service. God, Lord, keep our minds and our eyes from distraction. Help us, Lord, to stay concentrated, Lord, upon you, Lord, and I'll give you the praise and the glory God for what only you can do in this place in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen everybody say amen amen Amen. look at your neighbor give him a high five before you're seated and tell him it's no small thing you can be seated amen if you've done that it's no small thing it's no small thing This story is speaking of a man by the name of Korah, mainly. He is the main character here in Numbers chapter number 16, this man called Korah. Korah was the first cousin of Moses and of Aaron. These three shared the same grandpa, Kohath. And so they were of the tribe of Levi. Their ancestry is exactly the same from their grandpa, They share the same lineage and the same pedigree. And though their pedigrees are similar, their present functions and offices differ from one another. Korah serves and functions differently than Moses and Moses likewise from 
Aaron. Moses has been the deliverer of God's people through the book of Exodus. He has been the superintendent, if you will, of the construction of the tabernacle and everything that pertains to it there in the wilderness. Aaron, on the other hand, his function and his office has been acknowledged as being the high priest over the children of Israel. During the days of Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage, he showed himself and served as a mouthpiece to Moses and as a mouthpiece to Israel. And so it would seem appropriate that Aaron would be the high priest over the nation of Israel. However, Korah, on the other hand, is of a different sort. He is of a division of the Levitical priesthood called the Kohathites, where there were three divisions of the Levites, the Kohathites, the Jershonites, and the Merites. He was of the grouping and the division called the Kohathites. It was among these three divisions of Jershonites, Merites, and Kohathites, these divisions of Levitical priests, that the Bible tells us in Numbers 3 that the Jershonites would encamp on the west side of the tabernacle whenever it found its resting place. And their charge for the service of the work of the Lord were all of the hangings and the curtains and the coverings and the cords of the tabernacle and the tent of meeting that we know to be the holies of holies. In other words, their job, their duty pertained to all of the hangings, all of the curtains, everything. If you, we could call it this, their, they, their responsibility was the skin of the tabernacle. All the coverings and the curtains, everything that they had, that was their charge. That was their responsibility. The Merites who encamped on the north side of the tabernacle whenever it would come to rest. Their charge and their responsibility according to Numbers 3 are the boards and the bars, the pillars and the sockets, the pins of the tabernacle. Their responsibility was the structure of the tabernacle. The meat and the heaviness, if you will, of the structure of the tabernacle or going along with our little analogy here, the, 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 the Jershonites had the skin and the Merites had the skeleton of the tabernacle. But the Kohathites were those that Korah was a part of. Their responsibility, they encamped on the south side of the tabernacle whenever it came to rest. And the Bible says that their charge, their duty and responsibility was the Ark of the Covenant, the table of shewbread, the golden candlestick, the altars of incense and also the brazen altar and every vessel that pertained to the furnishings of the tabernacle was their responsibility so the Jershonites had the skin the Merites had the structure but the Kohathites had the organs they had every vital furnishing of the tabernacle that was under their care and so Korah's lot then wasn't the exterior skin. No, he wasn't a part of that group. Korah's lot was not the structure of boards and beams and cords and pins and sockets and pillars, but his was the sacred and the holy vessels of the house of the Lord. Can someone say amen? amen. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 40, 
that whenever they would travel in their wilderness journeys with the tabernacle in the wilderness, that whenever they came to a stopping place, they stopped because there was a cloud that came upon, when all of this first began and happened, there was a cloud that came upon the tent of meeting, notably known as the Holies of Holies. And whenever that cloud covered that place and entered in the Holies of Holies, that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And whenever that took place and happened, the Israelites set up camp. They did not move whenever the cloud entered the house. They stayed right there as long as the cloud hovered over the tabernacle. They did not move. They set up camp. Their fire was there. They would all pitch where they were supposed to pitch. All the Levites would encircle the tabernacle because they're supposed to stay right where they are for a while because that's where the presence was staying. That's where the spirit was staying. The Bible says during the day it would be as a cloud that was over the tabernacle. At night it would be as fire that was over the tabernacle. But you bear very well that any time the cloud moved or at night the fire was taken up, it was time to pull up stakes, so to speak, and move on. Whenever the spirit moved, the people moved. Someone say amen. And on the occasions, and it happened many times in their wilderness journeys, that the cloud would move or the fire would move. Being an emblem of God's spirit, it would move. The people would pull up stakes, fold up tents, and say, hey, it's time for us to move. But they did not move without the tabernacle. They did not move without the tent of meeting. The Bible tells us very well in Numbers 4 that whenever the spirit moved, that Aaron and his sons would go into the place of the holiest of holies and into the place of the holy place and they would begin to cover up the ark of the covenant and they would begin to cover up the candlestick and the table of shoe bread and cover up the altar of incense with all the proper coverings every furnishing in the tabernacle would be covered with the proper coverings and then the bible says they would take the staves they were nothing more but rods in order to carry these pieces of furniture they would take the staves and they would slide them in the rings that was on each and every one of these furnishings that was in the tabernacle making them ready for somebody to bear them upon their shoulder making them ready for somebody to move them it was only after they were covered only after the rods were put in the side that now the Kohathites this division of Levitical priests that Korah was a part of would go into where the Ark of the Covenant was and lend a shoulder to put it upon their shoulder. Lend a shoulder to the table of shoe bread. Lend a shoulder, if you will, to the altar of incense and go along on their journey carrying all of these furnishings as it were up on their shoulders. Can someone say amen? So you understand Korah being a part of this division of the Levitical priest, amen, it was his responsibility then. Highly possible there were some times that Korah had on his shoulder the Ark of the Covenant. There were some times that Korah had on his shoulder, amen, the, the table of fellowship or the candlestick that bore the light or maybe sometimes he had that altar of incense, of praise and worship that was on his shoulder shoulder nevertheless these items did not move until the presence of the almighty God 
lifted off the tabernacle and moved. And only then did they move. Someone say amen. Uh-huh. I feel a little old Paul McGee in this sermon here tonight. As the Kohathites carried these holy pieces, which Korah was a part of, the Kohathites, as they carried these holy pieces, those furnishings, I want you to understand something very quickly. They didn't move unless the spirit lifted and moved. So it's quite possible, ladies and gentlemen, that whenever those Kohathites went in to move the Ark of the Covenant, that just a few minutes prior, God's presence was landing on that thing. It's quite possible that just a few moments prior to them carrying the candlestick or the table of shoe bread, that the glory of the Lord was rubbing shoulders with all of those furnishings. Someone say amen. The presence of the almighty God was mingling with all those furnishings and they are only carrying them because he went on. But perhaps that just happened a few short minutes prior to them getting in there. Yes, they had to be covered. And yes, the stage had to be put in place. But I don't know if you realize or remember, but whenever Moses went up the Mount of God and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says he came down and he talked to the people and the people were kind of shielding themselves because Moses' face shone because he had been in the presence of the Lord. I don't have no scripture to back this, but I can't help but think that those furnishings that had been constantly in the presence of God while they rested should have been emanating his glory because I can't but think that while those Kohathites are carrying those articles of furniture, there's a little glimmering of light coming out from under the covering because they have been in the presence of the almighty God. Uh I don't know I don't know if there was anything such as a residue glory but if there was the Kohathites were the closest to it the Kohathites were the closest to it because it was their charge to carry the furnishings of the tabernacle of God and as they marched They were to be the ones closest to that table of fellowship, to the light of the candlestick, to the praise and worship of the altar of incense, to the purity of the sacrifices of the brazen altar. They were the closest to it. And so I put out there this evening, man, what an honorable position to be in, to have charge of carrying those furnitures and pieces of furniture, particularly when just a short time ago, they were in the almighty presence of God. What a privileged office to function in, to be carrying these articles of sacred glory and sacred power. They were as close as they could be to them. They had to be covered before the Kohathites went in Because if they went in without them being covered, the Bible says those would die. Wasn't their charge to cover. It was their charge to carry. They couldn't go in and touch it because if they touched it, they would die. Wasn't their responsibility to touch it. Their responsibility to hold the staves that touched these furnishings. And so they were as close, listen to me right now, 
this segment, this group, this division of the Levites called the Kohathites, they were as close as they could be to those furnishings without dying. It's the closest that they could be to the altar of purification without dying. The closest they could be to that table of shoe bread of fellowship without dying. It's the closest that they could be to the Ark of the Covenant where God's spirit and mercy seat was without dying. What a role. What a duty. What a responsibility. What a function. What a place to be and what an honor disposed on an individual to have that type of office and that type of place and that type of function. Yet, it is this office that Korah begrudges in Numbers chapter 16. Korah is pictured in Numbers as the ringleader, as the mastermind of what is more than not described as a rebellion. He is the mastermind, the ringleader of this rebellion. There's two other men that's in his conspiracy called Dathan and Abiram who are of the tribe of Reuben. They're in on this as well. But the ringleader, the mastermind is depicted as Korah, the Kohathite. Together, they had persuaded 250 leaders of Israel 250 people men of renown the scripture says leaders high ranking officials if you will to join in their escapades or join in what has been described as a rebellion some of their statements to Moses and to Aaron that they said were not entirely true but there were some that they spoke to Moses and Aaron that was true such as they said all the congregation are holy every one of them and the Lord is among them that's a true statement Israel was a holy nation they were a sanctified people a set apart people all of them together every one of them was and the Lord undoubtedly was he had been seen time and time again among them but there were other statements that they made that were false like whenever they accused them Aaron and Moses of lifting themselves up God had put Aaron in the place that Aaron was at. God had placed Moses in the place where Moses was at. And I don't think verse number four, the response that Moses has to all of this shows us the response of a person that lifted themselves up or of a person who was prideful. Because the Bible says in verse four, when Moses heard all this clamoring of Korah and Dathan and Abiram, the Bible says when he heard this, he fell upon his face. That wasn't a proud man. That's not a man that thought of himself more than what he thought he ought to. That was a humble man. That was a humble man's response. So they were false in that accusation. Someone say amen. amen. Now throughout the history of number 16, the whole event has been called. You can read commentaries, Bible scholars, all this stuff. Read the sections that give titles in your Bible before each section. And they have called this whole event and referred to it over and over again as the rebellion of 
Korah rebelling against Moses. Rebelling against Aaron. Speaking against them. Telling them, hey, we're just as holy as you are. We're just as holy as you are. He could have even said, hey, our family trees differ not from our granddad all the way back. We share the same pedigree. We share the same ancestry from our grandpa back. And so what makes you any better than me to serve in the capacity that you are serving in? But nobody had ever said that they were serving in a capacity better than anybody else. Korah dreamed that up of his own accord. He wanted the office and he wanted the function of Moses. He wanted the office or he wanted the function of Aaron. Listen to me. And on the surface, as a bystander, this may look like rebellion against Moses. It may look like rebellion against Aaron. It may look like a man that is wanting their office and wanting their responsibilities and wanting their function. But the only reason, listen to me well today, the only reason Korah desired the office of Moses or Aaron or thought themselves to have lifted themselves up or if their functions were more important than his, the only reason why he felt like that and dreamed that up himself is because he had grown indifferent to his own office and his own function. He underappreciated his placement and underappreciated his responsibility and his duty and his function. On the surface, it looks like a rebellious man but rebellion was only the symptom there's a deeper problem there's a man here that's growing discontent and unsatisfied and underappreciating his role his place his function someone say amen let me read my text again in verse number eight of number 16. Moses pulls back the layers of the onion to reveal the root of the matter. This is more than what it seems to be. It seems to be a rebellion. But what it is is somebody indifferent with their position. Now listen to me. I'm not preaching against anybody. As somebody, you're going to take this story like it's always been preached, and I'm not preaching it that way tonight. You need to stay with me. Here's a man that is indifferent to his duty, his function, his responsibility, and Moses pulls back the, the cover and says to Korah, Here I pray you, ye sons of Levi. He said, Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel have separated you from the congregation of Israel. For what purpose? To bring you, Korah, near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he hath brought thee near. Korah, God, put you where you are so that he could get you near. To where he was. And you're telling me right now that that's a small thing, a insignificant thing, a no big deal type of. 
Someone say hallelujah. He says, Cora, God made you. You were born of the tribe of Levi. Listen, just, just, just walk with me here for a moment. You understand the privileged place, Korah, where you are? It was only earlier, whenever we met at the Mount of God, that nobody could even approach into the smoke. It was only just a little earlier when we were at the Mount of God, only Moses and one other could ascend up the Mount. But now God has made the divisions of the Levites whenever Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? And the Levitical tribe showed up and now he's made you a division of the Kohathites and now the ones that could not even approach to the smoke of the mount are walking around with the Ark of the Covenant on your shoulder and you got the bread of fellowship upon your shoulder and you're saying this is a small matter, a small thing, it's insignificant, it has no worth, there's no value, you're crazy. This wasn't entirely about rebellion, it was about underappreciating where God has us. Uh, someone say amen. He said, because I brought, I put you where you are so that you would be near to me. I brought you to where you are so that you could do me some service, that you could stand and minister to the rest of these people in this congregation. I brought you to a place that is close to me. But Korah, you've grown familiar. You've grown familiar with your role. You've grown familiar with your duty. You've grown familiar with your responsibility. You've lost the all of your position. You've lost the splendor of serving the Lord. You've lost the splendor and the brilliance of the capacity that God sets you in where you can be close to things that have just been in his presence. You have forgot that you are holding all the vital organs and furnishings of my house. You have missed it, boy. You You've been in a place of nearness. Cora, you've missed it. You have missed it. You have in your lot in life have just been a stave's distance from the ark of God. While everybody else, his approach stops at the outer court. You in your lifetime have just been a stave's distance. From the ark of God. You've just been a stave's distance from prayer and worship at the altar of incense. You've just been a stave's distance from fellowship at the table. You've just been a stave's distance from the purity of the sacrifice of the brazen altar. While everybody else is at quite some distance, you've been close to it all. You've been close to praise, close to worship, close to purity, close to the light, close to the fire, close to fellowship, and close to me. For Korah, where he was right now, being a stave's distance from the Ark of the Covenant, didn't turn his crank like it once turned his crank. He took for granted that he had been given access to be as close as possible to all the sacred furnishings of fellowship and purity and prayer and worship that one could humanly be close to without being the high priest himself. The only way that you could be closer is if you were the high priest. 
for our modern day. Christ is seen through scripture. That was Old Testament. New Testament, Christ is seen in scripture as our high priest. He's given us a place and a position but to get as close to all these aspects of his tabernacle, his furnishings, his power and his glory as we can humanly possibly be without being him. Core's real problem. It's not his rebellious spirit, not desiring a position or place that someone else had, but it was that he withdrew from the wonder of his call. He withdrew from the wonder of his position. Listen to me. Whenever you withdraw from the wonder of your placement, your office, where God has stayed you, you'll give more credence and credibility and attention to someone else's call, even if it's outside the tabernacle. He might not have the place as close as the high priest, but it was definitely closer than the majority of the rest of the Israelites that were encamped around about the tabernacle. Number seven. Is everybody all right? Oh, they're doing good. Bless him, Jesus. Number seven in verse one. Let me read just this. I thought about just summarizing, but I'm going to read it for the purpose of reading it. And it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it and all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them, that the princes of Israel, heads of the houses, house of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes, were over them that were numbered, offered. So in other words, a head of each one of the tribes, being 12, 12 heads came together with some type of offering, and they offered, verse 3. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered wagons, 12 oxen, a wagon for two of the princes, so there's 12 of them, so for each two, a wagon was brought, and then for each one, an oxen was brought. They brought them before the tabernacle. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take it of them, that they may be... be to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt give them unto the Levites, to every man according to his service. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave unto the sons of Jershon according to their service, which was the skin, the hangings, the curtains, the tapestry. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Merai, according to their service under the hand of Ithmar, the son of Aaron, the priest. And the Merites, responsibility and charge, remember, was the structure, the boards, the timber, the pins, the sockets, the pillars. He gave that to them. Now, if you start doing your addition, you're finding out there's nothing left. But unto the sons of Kohath, he gave none. Because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. God says, you give this to the Levites according to how their service is, their charges, their responsibilities are. He's telling them, you can take curtains and you can take hangings and you can throw them in the back of a wagon with four oxen and you can travel like that from place to place when the Spirit moves. 
You could take the timber and the sockets and the pins and the boards. You take all that heavy stuff and structure and just throw it in the back of four wagons with eight oxen and let them move it like that whenever the Spirit moves. But you can't take the Ark of the Covenant and you can't take the candlestick and you can't take the labor and you can't take the table of shoe bread and throw it in the back of an old wagon. It's got to be placed on the shoulder. It's got it. It's too precious. It's too honorable. It's too holy. It's too sacred to be carried in a wagon. It's got to be put on the shoulders of the Kohathite. Someone say amen. What are you saying? What's God saying? He's saying, listen, there's some things in some parts of the tabernacle that can be carried when the Spirit moves just in a wagon and by oxen. But there's some other things around the church that were not meant to be hauled without feeling the weight of them as a burden on the shoulders of men and women. See, when the Jershonites walk, they're not feeling no burden as the Spirit moves. It's all in the wagon. As the Merites walk to the next place and the Spirit's moving, they don't feel no burden. It's all in the wagon. Just a momentary time of taking it from the tabernacle and putting it in the wagon. Do they feel the burden? But the Kohathites, the moment they place that on their shoulder, however many miles they walk that day, they're constantly feeling the burden of the Spirit of God because it's moving. And when God's spirit moves, I feel the burden. Don't underestimate your place, your position, your duty. Don't underappreciate it. In other words, Kohathites, Korah, when the presence moves off the tabernacle and everybody breaks camp and moves, you all are the only ones that will feel the continual weight of the Spirit moving because you bore everything that pertains to your mode of service upon your shoulders. Cora, don't lose the all of your calling. Don't lose the all of your calling. Church family, don't lose the all of your calling. New Testament scripture and writer tells us that we have all been called to be saints. Don't lose the all. Don't lose the splendor. Don't lose the brilliance. Don't lose the radiance of your calling. Even it is just to be a saint. Hallelujah. Because that puts us in a place to attend to the things of God whenever you're a saint. That puts us in a place that we're in close proximity to his presence and close proximity to his furnishings. Amen. Just being a saint. Don't lose the admiration for that call. Don't grow indifferent and complacent about that call. If you do, you will, you will esteem other roles sadly sometimes again those on the outside of the church more than your own role and look even in modern day church we say man they're being rebellious that's the symptom 
When someone seeks for something else, say they're being rebellious. That's the symptom. The problem is they underappreciated their call of being a saint. Ark the covenant just a stave's distance. Praise and worship just a stave's. His glory has just been on what I'm carrying now. That cloud has just covered what I'm harnessing on my shoulder. Don't lose admiration for that. It's no small thing. It's no small thing to be a child of God. It's no small thing to be a saint. It's no small thing to be a worshiper. It's no small thing to be a prayer warrior. It's no small thing to be a musician. It's no small thing to be a singer. It's no small thing to be a teacher of children. It's no small thing to be a youth pastor. It's no small thing to be an outreach person and a soul winner. It's no small. You're as close as you can get to his presence functioning in those capacities. It's no small thing. It's no small thing. Look. Point in case of scripture, it's no small thing for Korah to be a Kohathite. Whenever David, is it in 1 Samuel 6, I believe? Whenever David failed, listen to me, to secure somebody of the division of the Kohathites when he went to get the Ark of the Covenant, Whenever the Ark of the Covenant had been gone for some 20 years. And he's going to go get it. But if it moves, it's got to have a Kohathite on each corner to move. David did not regard or secure anybody from the division of the Levites of the Kohathites for moving the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obed-Edom. And as a result of it, you say, it's no small thing, it's no small thing. Because as a result of it, a man dies. And the moving of God's presence, which was the Ark of Covenant, that's what it represented, the presence of the Lord. And the moving of God's presence was hindered for three months when there wasn't a Kohathite to fulfill the office. This ain't, it's no big deal. It's no great matter. And this is not nothing much. I'm telling you, you are dead wrong. If it took a man's life and it stymied the presence of God from going on for three months, it's important for you to serve in your office, in your capacity, give it everything you got, value it as high as you can value it, and esteem it well in the sight of God. You're dealing with holy and sacred things. It's no small thing. Moses is trying to get through to Korah here. Korah, what you do and who you are is no small matter. It's no small thing. Listen to me. Linda here, I won't hold you much longer. But Korah, without you and the Kohathites, we can still have the skin, the curtains, the tapestry and the coverings and we can still have the skeleton the timber and the boards and the pins and the sockets 
but it will be void of sacrifice, void of fellowship, void of light, void of prayer, void of worship, and void of my presence if it's not for the Kohathites. We'll have all the parts of skin and structure, but it'll be void of any real meaning if you don't serve in your capacity. We'll have a form, but we'll have no power if you don't perform your function. We'll have a skeleton, we'll have an appearance of a temple, but it will be without meaning if you don't perform your role. Numbers 26 and verse 10. The Bible says, because this is what, this is reflecting back on what was recorded in number 16. This is what happened. The earth opened her mouth, swallowed them up together with Korah. When that company died, it was 250 that had the censers firing them. What time the fire devoured 200, here it is, 50 men, they became a sign. Verse 11, notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. Korah, the Kohathite. Moses said, if he doesn't die by some way that's new, then the words that I've spoken hasn't come from God. That's what he said in number 16. And he says, so the earth is going to open up and it's going to swallow this, this, this group of people. This is something new. And because it is so, you're going to know that it's been God. So the earth opened up. It took in Korah, those 250. They're swallowed up. But the scripture says... The children of Korah died not. Now there's only one way that the children of Korah died not and that is they must have separated themselves from the tents of their father Korah. The Bible says back at number 16 in our main text going to verse 26 Whenever Moses comes, he's speaking the decree of what the people need to do because all the congregation is out there. He spake unto the congregation saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked. Everybody say wicked. From the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs lest ye be consumed in all their tents. So Moses is saying, Congregation, put some separation between you and Korah and their tents because the earth's going to open up and it's going to swallow everything that pertains to Korah or anybody that wants to be associated with Korah. It's going to take. But the Bible says the children of Korah died not. And so they must have, Bishop, separated themselves from the tents of wickedness of their father and these Children are not as ignorant as we sometimes think they are. The 
They have eyes of observation just like we do. And Bishop, I can't but theorize. As setting over the wings somewhere was a generation in the shadows of up-and-coming Kohathites. That they could observe with their own eyes when the cloud lifted and the fire lifted and it moved. Their daddies getting up from their tents. Not whenever it was at camp could they go in where they went just now. But because the spirit moved, dad's getting up at this time and he's going where otherwise he could not go. And he's going to go in there and he's going to see and he's going to be a stage distance away from only what I've heard about. And he's going to carry for however many miles he has to carry furnishings that have just been in the presence of God. And I can't but wonder as a kid, you know, every kid thinks that their dad has the best job and it's the best thing. It doesn't matter what you do. Whatever he does is the best because it's their dad. And I can just see a bunch of just boy Kohathites sitting over there in the wings, not serving in any capacity yet. Man, my dad has the best job whenever the spirit moves. Everybody else is throwing stuff in wagons, but not my dad. He's carrying the load and the burden of everything of the tabernacle on his shoulders. He's in close distance to where the presence of God has just been. Your dad is just throwing sockets over in the wagon and yours is taking down the curtains but mine is right there by the table of fellowship, right there by praise and worship as we're walking all along these I can't but wonder, Sister Sheila that as all this thing was happening many people viewed it just as rebellion those boys caught something Dad has his underappreciating right at this moment his place. But us as kids not being involved where he's at right now, but on the peripheral can appreciate where he's been placed at. And as hard as it may have been for them, the earth's going to swallow up. But I don't want to come into agreement with Dad and say that where we have been placed as Kohathites is something subpar, something less of an estimate than anything else that goes on around here. And they separated themselves. And they didn't die. And I close with this if you'll stand. The Bible states in the book of Psalms, there are about 10 Psalms that are attributed to the sons of Korah. These that separated themselves from the tents of the wicked. Wicked, why? Because they're rebellious? No. Wicked because they underestimated their placement in God. And they separated themselves from Him. And one of these psalms that are penned by the sons, the lineage of Korah, state in Psalms 84 and verse number 10, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, look, than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. What was that lineage saying years removed from that? The same tents of wickedness 
that Moses said you need to separate yourself from. They said, I am going to admire being just a doorkeeper. I'm going to admire my station in life. I'm going to still be caught up in the splendor and the radiance and the brilliance and the awe of where God placed me rather than to dwell in the tents of wickedness because there, there is death. There, there is no hope. There, there is no continuance. There, there is no feeling of the burden of the moving of God's presence. But a doorkeeper... I know when the spirit moves when I'm here. I'm as close as I can be where God's placed me from here. God, they learned something even from the failures of their father to appreciate where God placed them and to appreciate who they were as a Kohathite, being able to be in close connection with God's presence and God's spirit. I'm preaching to this congregation tonight that God has positioned you and placed you where you are and do not lose the awe and do not assume that where you are and who you are and your function is a small matter or a small thing. Hear the voice of heaven tonight it is no small thing where you're operating it is no small thing who you are it is no small thing whenever you're able to interact with the presence and the holy and the sacredness of the almighty God <laughs> don't be indifferent to that place don't be indifferent to that place because I guarantee you somewhere in your walk with the Lord you'll start to begrudge your place as a saint you'll begrudge your place as a child of God and you'll lose the wonder and the awe of where God has called you and placed you and saved you but you need to remember you're a stave's distance from all the furnishings and when the spirit moves you feel the burden of the moving of his spirit upon your shoulders that's different from any of other those Levites God put you there why? he said I brought you here because I wanted you to be near to me. Near to me. Hallelujah. Can we bow our heads all across this building? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.